This is the Sackcloth Conspiracy. It's a podcast about crisis. Crisis in our relationships, our families, and ourselves. In it, you will hear our host, Josh Bob, and a variety of others share and unfold intense stories of crisis, paralysis, and death. Welcome to the Sackcloth Conspiracy. This is our inaugural edition. This podcast is an outgrowth of Josh and Shelley Buck Family Ministries. My family has a story that includes a son that was born with autism in 2002, a daughter who died in an accident in our home in 2005, a swimming accident in Cancun that left me a quadriplegic in 2007, and the resulting devastation in my marriage um, to my amazing wife, Shelley. But because of our faith, our family, and our friends, and God's grace showing up in our story time and time again, we aren't surviving, we're thriving. God has given us a ministry and the excitement to get up and face every day. He is good. Life is still a struggle, lots of days, but He is still good, and so is life. If you want to get caught up on our story, go to jsbfm.org and click on the Our Story link. But this podcast is not about our story. It's actually about finding beauty from ashes, ours and other people's. In this first episode, we will be discussing how to love a friend through tragedy. This comes from a series of blog posts that my wife has done. These blog posts have come directly from our story. We've shared them at churches and schools and marriage retreats on the radio. So put on your seatbelts. Who knows what's coming? This sackcloth conspiracy starts now. Hey, what's up, guys? So uh, this week we are going to be tackling... Loving a friend through tragedy. And so uh, we've got Joe here, our producer. What's up, Joe? Hey. <laughs> and we've got, uh, as always, my lovely bride, Shelly Ray. Hello. And we've got me. And so we'll be mixing it up different weeks. We'll have different hosts at different times. And just a little bit of a precursor here, a little preemptive strike. If uh, we're not going to keep going over our story over and over like hey this happened then but Why if you not? Uh, because it gets exhausting <laughs> and so we Shoot if, me. If, if you want to go to jsbfm oh you're killing me now if you want to go jsbfm.org right there on the front page is a big our story it tells you just our story of tragedy and god's victory um over all of that so visit jsbfm.org for more info Wish I had a bass voice there. Anyway, loving a friend through tragedy. So this comes uh, comes really from from our story. Just direct direct things we've experienced that maybe we have done, maybe have been done to us. Maybe loved ones have uh, have seen us, you know, seen perspective on. So this is directly from our story. And so if we say something that doesn't jive with you, then send us a comment. And then we'll read it on air. Send us no. hate mail. And <laughs> we won't do that. All right, baby, you want to kick it? Sure. All right. 
I guess I'd really start with saying that we had a lot of people that loved us fabulously. And then we had a few people that um, didn't love us so fabulously. And for some reason, that kind of sticks out. But I feel like that allows us to give good perspective on ways that are really helpful to love someone going through tragedy and ways that maybe are really blaringly big ways to stay away from it. Like, don't do this. For example, don't go up to someone's door and say, oh, I kind of have an idea what it feels like to lose a child. There was, there was a salesman that came up to our door, um, a, meat, a, a meat, meat salesman, salesman, about eight weeks after Ava died. And there was a stone that we had just had placed right uh, by our front door. And it had some little, uh, little poem that said something about, uh, you were gone before we knew it and only God knows why. I can't remember the whole thing. And he was like, you know, what does that mean? And we were like, well, we lost our daughter about two months ago in an accident here in our home. He was like, oh, wow, that's awful. And <laughs> I kind of identify with you. I think he said, I know exactly how you feel. I, honestly, I, I think he did. And he was went on to say that he had been out all night partying and he was drunk when he got home and he was high. Yep. And he got home and he realized, oh, I got to go to work in the morning and I got to get my pants pressed. So he got his iron out and he put the ironing board up to, to iron his pants and he's standing in front of his TV and not really paying much, much attention. And he took a step and he heard a crunch. And he looked down and he'd stepped on his pet parakeet. He what? killed his pet parakeet. Wait, this is an actual story. Yes. On my honor, this happened. What was your response? <laughs> if any, what was your response? Josh and I went up like halfway up the stairs to this landing in the house and laid on the floor holding each other and laughing so hysterically. Oh, we died. It was either that or beat right. him to beat him to bloody shreds. And you know, you know the best part though. <laughs> we bought meat from him. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you ever want to sell us something, just come up and offend us as deeply as possible. <laughs> Oh. Hey Josh, why can't your hands work? Josh, your hands don't work. Uh, you want to buy something from me? Oh, whatever you got. <laughs> so, in our story about loving a friend through tragedy, we're just going to talk a little bit about things that were really helpful and things that were not so helpful, and I guess things that you might want to stay away from. I guess the thing that I would start out by saying is that grief tragedy like when you're walking through that kind of a crisis situation uh grief is really selfish pain like inner hurt and turmoil is really selfish uh it's difficult to it's difficult to uh be always putting yourself out there and being aware of what you're making other people feel like when when you've just gone through this huge loss this huge loss you're not thinking, oh, I'm making people uncomfortable because 
I'm saying things that I shouldn't be saying. Like you are completely unaware. Yes. And so I would start out by saying really is that if you're someone that takes offense easily or uh, if you're just somebody that you can be offended easily, stay away in the beginning when, when they talk so harshly and abruptly because their point, they're, they aren't going to be talking in soft tones. They are grieving yeah. And it is absolutely and gritty and ugly. So remember that grief can be a selfish experience. And allow for this. It's not going to last for forever. And uh, remember that it's really not about you. It's about the person that's walking through the tragedy. Yeah. Um, This is about a mommy or a daddy or a grandma or a grandpa um, it's, it's about the person. It's not about you and you're there to help them. And, uh, you might leave feeling as though you were attacked or like you were of no good whatsoever. But just remember that, um, if your friend is, feels safe enough that they're bringing that kind of um, that kind of emotion out on you that they feel safe enough to emote that deeply. And that is, that's not, that's not very common. I had a very few people that I felt close enough to yeah. that I could emote that deeply with. I think that one thing you'll get out of this podcast as well is that right now Shelly is speaking from the perspective of mom who lost a daughter. So sh- you can learn from hearing that. But at the same time, you can learn how to be the person that is grieving as well. Mm-hmm. So if you are out there and you're grieving, you can learn that, you know what, these other people that are coming around you that don't seem as sensitive as you'd like, they're also people that are grieving. You know, it's a... Oh, it's you mean a, like, say, a mother-in-law or a mom or a or sister? Or a friend. Okay. Yeah, like, I've never had a friend... Uh, lose a child, like a close friend. So if I'd never lost a child, I wouldn't know how to respond to them. So it's my first time in this deal as well. So I think you can learn from both perspectives of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be talking today specifically about eight different points that would be helpful in loving a friend through tragedy. These are things that helped us when we walked through Ava's death and after your accident. We had friends that came from all over the U.S. after Ava's death, right away, actually, and right came right to Miami right after Josh's accident. And um, for years, I didn't realize that this is what we did, but I knew that it was spiritual. And it's called Sitting Shiva. And I know it sounds re- kind of silly, but it's spelled S-H-I-V-A. And it's Hebrew for seven. You can read about it in the Bible in uh, Job. Job 2.13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Obviously, Job has all these terrible things happen to him. House crashes down, kids in it, boils, the whole bit. And they sat with him for seven days and didn't say a word. 
So we experienced this a couple different times. I remember one of them that was powerful to me uh, was Nate Kingsbury and Brian Bradford. They came over, and uh, I remember sitting on my mother-in-law, father-in-law's basketball court. And they came over and just sat, and we really didn't talk at all for probably 15 minutes. And I think it's because they didn't know what to say, and that's the wisest thing that you can say when you don't have anything to say is just shut up. Don't talk. Yeah. I mean, we had so many, you know, stupid things that people would, that people would say. Um, Which is normal. And we, uh, what's funny too is if you do say something stupid, remember that this parent, parents and people, like they're probably not going to remember because shock gives a lot of grace. Thankfully, like what you just said (laughs) on the comparison chart of what just happened. Yeah, pretty low. Yeah, Yeah, you're probably safe. (laughs) Cut your losses and bounce. Yes, cut your losses and bounce. That's genius. Yeah, so true. But um, we used that, or we got we got that given to us. I think you know a couple different ways. So any really those days at your at your mom and dad's house. So my dearest friend from college who. We've both experienced a lot of tragedy um, over the last 10, 11 years. She really didn't know how to be there for someone in tragedy after Ava died. But what she did was what I needed. And she just sat there. I remember her rubbing my hair until I fell asleep every night. Those first four nights or three nights before the funeral because I was so afraid of going to sleep. She just was so quietly there. If I wanted to talk, she was available, but she just sat. I needed that, and I didn't realize how much I needed that and how powerful that was. I think it was a spiritual thing, and I think that it was something that was covered in prayer, honestly. Her being a a woman of prayer, and asking and knowing that her husband was at home praying for her um, and not knowing how to do it, but faulting rather on not talking too much. I think it's always better than talking too much. Everybody made mistakes and we did too. We said a lot of hurtful things and um, people said hurtful things to us, but we just kind of kept moving forward. And we're lucky enough to have a family full of grace that mm-hmm. I think... This far out, I think everyone has given everyone grace to the point where we are not back to where we were before, but we're healed. Yeah. So I think also at your mom and dad's house, we moved in there for how long after Ava died? Seven weeks. So in some of those early days as well, especially I remember at the, it's not called reception, what is it? The visitation. Yeah, a little different. Um, we had a huge line, two and a half hour long line, and we just stood there and hugged people for two and a half hours. It was terrifying, but we had multiple people come up to us and say, Hey, anything you guys need, just let us know. And this is point two. Don't say anything. Don't say that. Don't say anything that you don't mean to somebody that's grieving. You know, one of those families, and I don't remember who they are from Adam, and they're probably never going to listen to this, but 
um, they said, hey, anything you need, just let us know. And so about a week and a half later, Shelly and I hadn't been together at all away from the family. And so um, we called them up. They were like maybe the second or third people we called. Called them up and we were like, hey, um, we really need somebody to watch the kids, you know, tonight so we can go out on a date. And they were like, oh, man, we totally would. But we've got like we're going to Coast Guard Festival tonight. We're sorry. We're busy. Another time. We were like, time out. We just put our three-month-old in the ground about a week and a half ago. You just said you'd do anything we needed. So you you can't do that. So it might be watch your kids. It might be whatever. But say nothing before you say something you don't mean. And I think that it's fine not to say anything. Just don't make promises that you really don't mean, that you can't follow through on. I think also is that the first few, the first week or two, you are just, there's a tidal wave of help, of people yeah. wanting to meet your needs. But after that first couple weeks, it really starts dwindling. And people move on to their life, like move back into old patterns. And your life is, it's scary because you have to move back into old patterns. But your pattern is like your heart is empty. It's like there's a void that there won't ever, it won't ever be filled again. The tank is dry. To be somebody that's willing to come in and help at that point is so, so helpful. So to be someone that's saying, hey, in a month from now, when you need somebody to come in and babysit or you need a meal, I'll be there. That, that would be, that went a long way with us. That's a great like side point. So be the one that steps in once you realize all the other help is starting to dwindle. And I think, you know, I've worked in the church for years and you'll see that in, in situations across the board is that there's lots of help early on. Everybody that has a big tragedy looks like they've got this huge Facebook page. They've got all sorts of support. So you assume, but you know what happens when you assume, right? So that's a great, great side point you kind of fell on there. Hmm. I think this is a year later, after Ava died, we were listening to a sermon, and he was like, two and a half weeks ago, my, you know, blah, 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 blah. They had a, an older child die, a child in their 20s or something. And so Shelly and I looked at each other and we were like, three weeks ago, this happened? And you're up on stage, like sharing about how God's won the victory through it? Well, praise God that he will win the victory. But you you got to grieve, buddy. And I think this is point three. It is. Mm-hmm. That you know, don't try to find meaning too quickly. Don't be the guy that jumps ahead. You know, and is finding finding some nugget of truth or some tidal wave of God winning because that's what we want. And you know what? Maybe that's what he needed to cope. And I think that's probably what most people thought is he's he's finding meaning in this as a means of, you know, healing. So And I think that 
if you're the one that is going through the tragedy or experiencing the grief and suffering, that's a little different. You know, that's your coping mechanism. But if you're the friend that's walking through it, that's a whole different story. Yeah. So I guess what we were saying is don't be the friend that's trying to uh, draw the conclusion out of your friend. Like, uh, and don't force them to. They will eventually. Um, and just allow them to have questions. Uh, grief is, is a process. And everybody's, everybody's process, it, their timeline is different. So this guy had questions that he raised at two and a half weeks. For, for 18 months, let's say, I didn't raise questions from, uh, like say, from the front of a church until right. 18 months later. And if you are going through you know, tragedy, you don't have to feel pressured to find meaning. So that guy, I don't know if he felt pressure. Um, but if you need to do that to heal, if you need to do that to, you know, like sometimes in, in worship, let's say in church, sometimes you raise your hands because you're feeling God's presence so strongly. Sometimes you want to feel God's presence. So you raise your hands, you know, so maybe it's, he's wanting to find meaning. Mm -hmm. So he says that he is, or maybe he was regardless. If you're the friend, don't pressure and if you are the person, you know, don't feel pressured. Let that happen in God's timing, not not ours. Uh, <clears throat> number four, meals. It was a really hands-on way that people could love us. Uh, I think actually I forgot about this. Someone got us a deep freeze. So random. Like yeah. something small. I mean, it was probably like 150 or $200 got us a deep freeze and brought it into our basement and people started filling it with meals. I hadn't thought about that till right now. And uh, for the future. And uh, especially right after Ava's death. And I think one thing that was smart was people were using, it sounds silly, disposable pans Everything, people were thinking ahead so that they didn't have to come back and collect their, their wares. Um, because I, there is so much confusion in your brain. You can't think of, there are, there are no details. You're not keeping track of, oh, I've got to get Mrs. Smith back her, you know, her Corel pan. Like, come on. Uh, that's just not happening. And then after Ava's death, it wasn't to this extreme, but after Josh's accident, because family and friends had moved into our home, uh, and I was living part of the time in the hospital, part of the time at home. We were moving from one house to another. Uh, a couple was living at home with our kids. Um, so there was food that needed to be taken care of at all times, and... I became incredibly fearful of people bringing food that I didn't know. Yeah, I remember that too. Because they wanted to talk to me. They wanted a piece of the grief. I don't think anybody had um, insincere motives, but I was so overwhelmed 
with the number of people we were having to get to know for his care, the doctors and nurses and therapists and um, who was where when and who's taking care of these people. And then I have to be at home at this time, you know, from this time to this time to accept a meal from a family and give them a piece of me. I had nothing. Yeah, no pieces left. I had nothing to nothing to give. We're already missing six pieces from the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. You needed like drive by, just throw the lasagna and keep it. Moving. When people would do that, <laughs> yes. When people would, would like, oh, it was the best. Yeah. They they'd open the door, they'd say, "Hey, we love you guys. Here's lasagna. Here's the bread. Throw it in the oven for, you know, ten minutes on three fifty. We love you," and would leave. Shelly and I would look at each other and be like, they get it. Yes. Praise God. Uh, and so if you were going to bring a meal to someone who's going through something, I would honestly encourage you to tell them or explain to them, I'm not coming in. I'm going to drop this off on your steps at this time. And allow them, if they want to see you, they can, they can suggest that. But otherwise, don't even give them the choice. Just allow them to have their peace. Bring them the meal uh, and go. The other option I think would, that's great is that we started having somebody else be the one that was collecting the meals and the same person brought them to us every day so that we knew who to expect. And it wasn't somebody that... Uh, it was somebody that we knew was coming then. And then I wasn't so fearful about having to talk to somebody every day. And as silly as it sounds, this is something that I have heard time and time again is the how, how exhausting it is when people bring meals because you need the food. And a lot of times there's so many people, you can't afford to order takeout every single night uh so you it's it's something that's 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 a necessity but um just to realize that the conversation that you're looking for or you know write a card give them your you know let them know you're thinking of them and call it good Well, that's it for episode number one of Sackcloth Conspiracy. If you'd like to listen to the continuation of Loving a Friend Through Tragedy, go ahead and click on episode number two. And the great thing is, you don't even have to wait for it. We just dropped four episodes. Hey, as always, if you want to get in touch with me, email me at josh at jsbfm.org. Thanks for listening.